Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Hi, welcome back, everybody. We are going to enjoy another great episode of Indie Reads Aloud today with Michael Samardike. This is Michael's third time reading on the program today. And as I've said before, Michael, I really love your diversity and your ability to shift gears and play with new things, taking new risks and storytelling. I, I just think it's tremendous that you're stretching yourself like that. Well, thank you. It's fun. And I'm really happy that you're willing to share this with us because then now we get to go buy more books. So Great. That makes me idea. happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Michael Samardike was born in Cleveland, Ohio. He is a graduate of Odyssey Writers Workshop and he has won the Lonesome Pine Short Story Contest twice for Showman um, and The Rest of the Way Home and the Appalachian Heritage Writers Symposium Contest for The Frankenstein Doll, which you can hear on another episode of this program. He currently lives and writes in southwestern Virginia. The book he's going to read today is a collection of shorts titled Exit Laughing Maniacally. Can you tell us a little bit, Michael, about what this collection is about? Sure. Uh, My son is a huge uh, comic book fan, especially DC Comics and Batman in particular. Uh, I myself um, grew up watching the 1966 Batman TV show when it was first on and then later on in reruns. That's sort of the extent of my real interest in Batman. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my son really goes into Batman, and so I know a lot more about Batman than I ever really wanted to know. Yeah, my my son does the same thing since he was three. He's been Mm. obsessed with Batman, so uh, I I can share your angst about that a little (laughs) bit. So um, I thought, you know, okay, let's try to do something sort of funny with Batman. Um, There is a memoir, I think it's a Broadway memoir called Exit Laughing, and uh, I was thinking about that and said, well, maybe Exit Laughing Maniacally would be a good title for the memoir of a supervillain, okay? okay? And so this book sort of takes the Batman-Joker rivalry and looks at it from sort of a skewed perspective, the perspective of a supervillain called the Maniac and his nemesis called the Night Avenger. So it's the Maniac's view of his terrible relationship with the Night Avenger and how the Night Avenger always gets in his hair. And, um, you know, hopefully it'll be very enjoyable and you'll never look at Batman and the Joker the same way again. I think um, that it would be great fun. I I love the idea of getting into the head of the villain 
and seeing what we've all seen a million times before, but from a different perspective. Hopefully that's what this book does then. I think and... it's going to be fun. I, I'm really excited about hearing this story. Okay. When you're ready, will you please take the microphone and read aloud? Okay, happy to do it. Okay, so this is the story, Exit Laughing Maniacally, the first of several stories in the book, Exit Laughing Maniacally. Him. That's the only reason anyone cares about me, him, the Night Avenger. He's the one people care about. If these words are ever published, you're probably reading them because you want to see what light I can shed on the Night Avenger. What do I, the maniac, Night Avenger's greatest foe, have to say about him? I will spell it out for you. If I could, I would rig up a network of loudspeakers across Noir City to emit the following truth. What do I, the maniac, think about Night Avenger? I've tried boiling him in oil, dipping him in hot wax, running him over with a steamroller, and I've turned a stampede of elephants against him. Am I being too subtle for you, citizens of Noir City? I want the Night Avenger dead. That's what I think. You have no idea how deflating it is to know that everyone who reads about you is just reading to find out what you think about your greatest enemy. It's a curse. It isn't fair. I mean, Dean Martin got Jerry Lewis out of his life. Why can't I do the same for the Night Avenger and me? Night Avenger and the Maniac. Now, after 30 years plus of foiled capers and assassination schemes that never quite come off, it seems like destiny. We were meant for each other. Yin and Yang, Amon Rai, Astaire and Rogers, if not the Apollonian and Dionysian aspects of the Western imagination. Some professor at Taylorville State University actually got tenure for writing a book filled with that junk, and I'm the one in an insane asylum. I've got to calm down. But then, why should I? If I'm an inmate at the Ixnard Laughing Academy and Cracker Factory, it's because I deserve the honor. If everything you tried to do was frustrated by this guy in a mask who shows up again and again, you'd be inside these rubber walls with me, instead of sitting back complacently tut-tutting over why comic books don't cost a dime anymore and wondering where it will all end. Everything I do gets frustrated by Night Avenger. Even if I do seem to get away with something, I know I haven't gotten away with it because he's probably letting me get away with it or I can get into deeper trouble farther down the line. Like that time I started stealing convertibles and painting them yellow. I didn't really know where I was going with that one. I could have used them for bank robbery. I could have turned the public against the car dealer I stole them from and driven him out of business for having nothing but lemons for sale. Instead, I opted for using them, but to knock over a dozen armored cars on the same day. And the Night Avenger was on to me. I don't know how he knows what I'm going to do, but he knows. At times, I lie awake and wonder at night and wonder if he's in my mind, knowing what I'm thinking before I can even think it. If I weren't already the maniac, I'd be a maniac from worrying about that. Sometimes I lie awake at night and know that he's in my mind. That's worse. Okay, some people say that's my own fault, that my modus operandi for capers is way too complex, if not even convoluted. And by the time I get everything in gear, the Night Avenger has had time to figure it all out and is just waiting to put me in the bag. After the Pink Elephant Parade failed, Muggsy Malloy buttonholed me that very question. Why does it always have to be so complicated with you? 
Why can't we just rob a bank instead of setting up a damn elephant parade first? Or heist some art instead of stealing some giant Mickey Mouse balloon first? The more complicated you make the capers, the more chance there is that he'll figure out something's going on and that you're involved, and the whole caper will go splat. Because if I do that, Muggsy, I told him, he will have won. It would mean that he would have me preventing myself from being me. If I just robbed banks, I'd be just another crook and not the maniac. And no amount of money in the world would be worth that. No, it wouldn't be worth it, being just another crook. I get so much fun out of being a supervillain. Just look at the other supervillains I hang out with. Who am I kidding? They're all losers. Take flip-flop. What a blowhard. I suppose that's what you can expect when a professor goes bad, especially a philosophy professor. Give him a second, and he'll start bending your ear about life is, how life is all chance, Everything is random. None of us has any control over our fate. And so that's why tossing a coin is the only way to make decisions, blah, blah, blah. Yes, he never makes a decision without tossing a coin first, but I don't think he leaves it purely to random chance. Let me put it this way. I've had dozens of dinners with that guy and he always flips that damn coin to see if he'll pick up the check or not. And I've always ended getting stuck for the meal. Always. There's no way. That could be pure chance, I figured. So I got my revenge on flip-flop. The last time I had to pick up a check for him, I said, I feel sorry for you, Flip. I really do. For the tragic accident that left me hideously scarred? No. For all the times you have to flip that coin. I mean, in the morning, I just put my socks on. You, you have to flip that coin to see if you put your socks on or not, and flip again to see if you put the left one on first or the right one, and so on. And it just gets worse. I just go to the bathroom. You got to flip to see if you make number one or number two. Heck, I suppose if you're serious about this coin flipping thing, you should flip that coin to see if you breathe in or breathe out. Well, that was the beginning of the end of flip-flop. He thought about what I'd said and sank into a catatonic state and has been awarded the Ixnard Laughing Academy and Cracker Factory ever since. Not that there's anything wrong with being awarded of Ixnard. I've been here to wild to myself. Usually it's no big deal. I've lost track of the times I've been in and out of this cracker factory. When the night avenger drops me off outside the gate like a bag of laundry, the guards who bring me in call me the frequent flyer. As many times as the gates of the Laughing Academy close behind me, I get out again. Until this time. I didn't know it, but this time would be different. This time, the Ixnard bastards had hired Dr. Eugene Price to cure me. He looked innocent enough, wide-eyed behind his spectacles, and a true believer that psychiatry could actually help me. He was determined to be the doctor who cured the maniac. So Monday and Thursday mornings were spent with me shooting the breeze with Dr. Price. Our sessions broke up the week and I strung him along with stories of how my dad used to beat me with a wet mackerel and my high school sweetheart smoked cigars. Psychiatrists eat that garbage up and then they write books about the lost child within the maniac and sit on Oprah's sofa looking noble while the money pours in. That's how it's supposed to be. Only Dr. Price, he wouldn't do it that way. The other day, I'm telling him about childhood trauma number 95, when my mom wouldn't let me have a hamster. Instead of giving me a hamster, she dropped me off at a matinee of the Nutty Professor, that abomination of a movie where Jerry Lewis is, tries to turn into Dean Martin. You know, you really talk about yourself in Night Avenger as being like Martin and Lewis a lot, Dr. Price said at the end of the session. Only because it's true, I told him. Well, I need to ask you about that, he said. 
What characteristics come to mind when you think of Dean Martin? Class, I said. Sophistication, talent, charm, success. You didn't even have to hesitate to think about those, he said, writing it all down. Now, what do you think about Jerry? An embarrassing failure, I said, sitting up. My hands became fists. A disgrace to the human race, an ape, an idiot, and a blowhard. I thought so, Dr. Price said. Now, what do you think about the night avenger? I mean, what kind of person do you think he really is when he is an imposter? He has to be from money, I said, not even hesitating. Listen to him talk. He has to be from an Ivy League school. He even knows how to fence, knows how to ride, knows how to play the piano. I've never seen anyone so talented. I mean, I hate the guy and want to kill him. But if I weren't the maniac, I'd love to hear him tell how he beat all my schemes. That would be a great talk. I'd bet my last dollar that he's a classy, charming guy. Yes, yes, Dr. Price said, excited. You think Dean Martin is classy, charming, and successful, and you think that the Night Avenger is classy, charming, and successful, too. Something in his tone made me not like where this one was going. Fundamentally, you identify the Night Avenger with Dean Martin, he said, which means that you must see yourself as Jerry Lewis. No, I said, an embarrassing failure, a disgrace to the human race. I sprang off the couch, and he decked me. He decked me me right in the jaw and I went out like a light. But that punch was where he screwed up. He's clever, really clever. That whole Martin and Lewis thing, planting the idea in my head that I see myself as an embarrassing failure. That's really clever. But I'm clever too, because I recognized that punch to the jaw. I recognized it because I had felt it before, dozens of times before. Every time after one of my great plans goes splat, I'd felt that punch on the jaw. Dr. Eugene Price. Price, my psychiatrist, a classy, well-educated guy and charming as hell. I've heard the guards talk and they gossip about the girlfriends the doc has had. Successful. Whether you're counting money or counting women, he certainly qualifies as successful. Dr. Eugene Price, possessor of a strong chin, chin that I'm used to seeing below a mask that covers the top of his face. My own damn psychiatrist is a night of it. Once I get out of Ixnard, I could pay Dr. Price a visit if it weren't for that little voice in my head since our last conversation that tells me, yes, you can lay a great scheme to get the night event using thousands of ping pong balls, a leftover Zeppelin and some nerve gas, but will all come to nothing because you're nothing but an annoying screw up, just like Jerry Lewis. And even though I know that the night adventure planted that voice in my head, I can't make it shut up. I really hate it. I tell myself that this plan, the ping pong ball Zeppelin nerve gas plan will work. And that little voice he planted in my head says, just like all the other plans worked, didn't they? Oh wait, they didn't work. That's why you're an inmate in Ixnard and not filthy rich. If I'm lucky, the little voice stops there. Usually though, it goes on to say, you know why you escaped from Ixnard so much? Because they want you to escape. They want you to cook up new schemes, bizarre and grotesque ones, because they love to watch you fail and the night adventure win. Seeing you fail makes people laugh, just like they would at a clown. In fact, you are a clown, a whiny, annoying clown who doesn't know everyone is laughing at. Am I a clown? Is the purpose of my life just to make the night adventure look good? Does my suffering only boost his popularity? Do I make him look like a great hero? Those questions dig deep. They make me look at my life 
all the time and money I've spent on capers, it all goes flat. All the times I've been behind the walls, walls of Ixnard, and I see that my life, my own life, has only been a benefit to one person, him. Thank you, Michael. That was a fun story. I really enjoyed that. I'm definitely going to make sure that my son listens to this episode <laughs> because I think he's going to enjoy it, too. Okay, good. Good. What was your favorite part about writing this particular story? Um, let's see. I, I liked how I sort of started with the first word, him, and then brought it back to the same last word, him. Mm -hmm. so start and end in the same space and just, you know, get, get some development in their character development and everything. Um, working in the Martin and Lewis comparison and stuff like that. Yeah, know. that was fun. Mm -hmm. so, that yeah. was fun. Wow. I, I'm i looking forward to reading this book along with the other two. You're a great storyteller. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us on the program again. I hope you'll come back another day. I oh, hope so too, yes. Look forward. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Okay, you too. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you are an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.